to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If you're not operating in and depending on the Spirit, you don't just go into neutral. That's not how it works. Instead, in some way, shape, or form, you're compromising the power of the Spirit. You're counterfeiting the work and power of God's Spirit. For some of us, it's that we rely on substance. So I would ask the question, what is filling and fueling you? Where do you go to be satisfied? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Char Broderson continues our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Char concludes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, in a message titled, Spirit-Filled Jesus, Spirit-Filled Christians. And now, here's Pastor Char. The moving of the Holy Spirit is always in concert with bringing glory to God, drawing people to the revelation of God's goodness and his rescue available to us, his forgiveness of sin available to us in Jesus, and then helping, serving, healing, comforting, and encouraging and exhorting others. This is how the Spirit is described in the pages of Scripture. And this is the Spirit that God has given to us. This is the spirit that we want to be pursuing. This is the spirit that we want to be surrendered and open to. So when we say we want a spirit-filled church, when we say, Holy Spirit, come. When we say, Lord, by your spirit, give us prophetic words, words of encouragement, words of comfort. This is what we're talking about. Continue the ministry of the life and works of Jesus here in our midst. And then do that through us out into the world. That's what we're talking about. That's what scripture is talking about. So that's the first way that looking at the life of Jesus has grounded me. The second way is it helps me to see the absolute necessity of the spirit in the life of the follower of Jesus. As I mentioned, Jesus has the spirit without measure. It remains on him, anointing him for his life and ministry And John tells us something fascinating that none of the other gospel writers tell us. The other gospel writers there at the cross were told that Jesus releases his spirit or Jesus gives up the ghost, some translations say. But John specifically records that when Jesus breathes his last, he gives up the spirit, the pneuma, the same term that John has been using all throughout his gospel. So there on the cross, when Jesus released his soul says that he gave up, released the Holy Spirit. And then the next time we see Jesus interacting with his disciples, do you remember what he says? He says, peace to you, for as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And he said this, and he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. See, that that same power and anointing, that fullness that Jesus had, he released it so that it might fall on you, that it might fall on me, that we might be his spirit-filled people. This is absolutely necessary. 
for the life of the follower of Jesus. You see, the main, one of the main purposes in Jesus coming to earth was to be our example of a life lived in the Spirit and by the Spirit and then to give up that Spirit that we might be his Spirit-filled people. Now, the primary work and objective of the Holy Spirit, looking at the Gospels, looking at the epistles, is to form the Christian in the life of God. The way God thinks, the way God feels and acts. You guys have heard me talk about this before, but the language that is used, especially by Paul, is that you and I are to practice the things of the Spirit in such a way to give ourselves over to the Spirit again and again and again so that it becomes second nature, so that it becomes a part of our very being, our very fiber, so that day after day after day, We're being formed. We're being transformed. Our soul's image is being stamped and marked by the person of Jesus, being more, made more and more and more in his image. This is the work that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. And then, yes, there is power. There is an anointing. There is gifting. There are manifestations And we see this in the life of Jesus, right? We see the fruit of the Spirit in his life. We see the character of God in his life, but we also see the power of God in his life. God has the same for us. Sometimes we see people who are all about the manifestations of the Spirit, but they lack character. Like, how could you possibly make that decision? How could you possibly do that thing that is so out of line with the way of Jesus, and yet you have a prophetic word? And yet you have a tongue and an interpretation. And I'm like, what? How does this happen? And I, don't, I still don't understand. But a spirit-filled life is both form and fire. Formation around the way of Jesus. Practicing his way of life, becoming more and more like him, made in his image. And the power of the spirit. Gifting, anointing, healing. All of these, whatever the spirit desires to do in us and through us. The Holy Spirit gives us the provision of divine power to execute the Christian way of life and to seek and build the kingdom of God in the places he has called us. And I'm really excited in the next weeks to talk more about how God has called you and how he has gifted you and how he wants to gift you more and how God desires to show up and manifest himself as we gather in his name, under his word. But it is through the Holy Spirit that we assimilate our great salvation. The the Spirit is absolutely essential in the life of the follower of Jesus. Now, this begs the question then, like, okay, if that's what Spirit-filled looks like, and if I'm supposed to have the Spirit, do I have the Spirit, right? It's like any time you do this teaching or a teaching like this, you teach about salvation, the question is always like, oh, no, am I actually saved, right? And then everybody's questioning So do I have the Holy Spirit as you just described it, Char? Am I really a Christian? Well, let me just say this. According to the Bible, every person who has committed their life to Jesus Christ, who puts their faith and trust in him, says, Jesus, you're king, you're master. What you say goes, I give you my allegiance. I give you the whole of myself. Whoever does that, says the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. God pours the spirit of his son into our hearts. The love of God fills up our hearts and we cry out in return, Abba. 
There is this relational, familial connection with God upon receiving the Holy Spirit. We are children of God, and God is Father. That's called regeneration. We become a part of the family of God. We become a new creation. But often our experience as we begin to live out the Christian life, as we seek to follow Jesus to grow out of our old habits and way of speaking, thinking, and acting, along the way, we stumble, we fall, we lose that fervor and that passion, that zeal and that clarity about who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And I think the common experience of many Christians is that we don't feel that we have the Spirit. We don't sense His presence or work in our lives. And so I think a good question to ask is, if all Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, why am I not experiencing the Spirit in the way that you just described it, Char? Why does my life or lifestyle seem inconsistent with the Holy Spirit's work in the life of Jesus? Why don't I desire the things of God if I do have the Spirit of God? Or, why is my life defined more by sin than by righteousness? Now, I don't like to base things on feelings alone. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's really accurate as a Christian. But feelings are important. Experience is important. Scripture makes that very clear. But I think these are very good questions to ask ourselves. And these, I think, are some of the possibilities. Remember, Paul the Apostle says in Ephesians 4.30, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember that passage? Another passage speaks of this ability to quench the Spirit of God, which sounds like counterintuitive. How could I quench this God's life-giving Spirit? And then one more of resisting the Spirit. So grieving, quenching, resisting. Brian Chappell He says this, the same spirit who convicts my heart of sin generates in me love for God, gives me new birth, provides my apprehension of the beauty of grace in the world, and seals my redemption until the coming of the Lord. This same spirit who loves me so intimately and perfectly, I can cause to grieve. I have the power, you have the power to stop the flow of the work of God, of God's spirit, of his voice to silence that in your life. Now, does that mean that God can't override and break through? Oh, come on, absolutely not. But that we can muffle, as it were, the voice of the spirit. We can quench and stop the work that he is doing and wanting to do. Now, notice scripture does not say we lose the spirit or that the spirit leaves us It's not bringing in Psalm 51 or, you know, Psalm 32. That was an anointing in the Old Testament. We're talking about salvation here. We're talking about the presence of the Spirit in the life of the believer. None of that. But he can be quenched, grieved, and resisted. And so this should give us pause. Because maybe we don't feel or aren't experiencing the Spirit's presence and power in our lives because he has been resisted for so long. He has been ignored for so long. He has even been grieved and suppressed. He's speaking a word of conviction, but every time we just go on in our own way. 
He's, he's saying to us, come away with me. Make time for me. Be with me. We're like, I'm busy. I'm busy. I can't. I can't. I can't. I've got this. and I've got that. I've got this. Resisted and ignored, grieved and suppressed. It could simply be spiritual stagnation because of apathy to the things of God. I've just been doing this so long, it's just kind of worn off its power, right? I'm just kind of in this rut. I just do the same things again and again and again. I've just kind of grown apathetic to the things of God, to the spirit of God. It could also be a failure to operate according to the spirit's power and rely on our own strength and ability to cope with and navigate life on our own. All of these can grieve and suppress the spirit and his work in our lives. You know, sometimes we think only about the big sins that could possibly quench or stop the Holy Spirit, could grieve him. But remember in Ephesians 4.30, when Paul's talking about grieving the spirit, he isn't talking about sex. He isn't talking about, you know, murder. He isn't talking about, you know, the big sins that we often think about. Paul speaks of grieving over the spirit in, ter- in relational terms by sowing discord and disunity among God's people through unforgiveness, unthankfulness, and covetousness, bitterness, backbiting, and slander, harsh and critical speech that discourages and tears people down. You see, I mean, really, we grieve the Holy Spirit any time we don't think, speak, and act in love towards others. And if we give in to that again and again and again, rather than being channels of God's love and channels of God's grace, we're going to stop up the flow of the Spirit in our lives. But it's not just sin, it's also compromise and counterfeit. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, if you're not operating in in and depending on the Spirit, you don't just go into neutral. That's not how it works. Instead, in some way, shape, or form, you're compromising the power of the Spirit. You're counterfeiting the work and power of God's Spirit. So for some of us, it's that we rely on substance. So I would ask the question, what is filling and fueling you? Where do you go to be satisfied? Where do you go for comfort? Where do you go to be strengthened and renewed? So many of us, and I'm not even saying this like in a alcoholic type of way or you know, someone who is abusing food or any of these things. But some of us, we go to food, we go to alcohol, we go to our meds, we go to, you know, codependency, all of these things. Even we channel our anger as a way to comfort ourselves. It's a way, in a sense, to be in control and to be powerful rather than allowing the power of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, the person of the Spirit being the filling and fueling of our lives. See, all of these things, and we all do it, none of these things can heal you, though. See, all of these that I just mentioned, these suppress, you know, like alcohol is called a suppressant because they suppress the real issue. They cannot heal them. But the Spirit of God wants to bring real healing to our lives by working joy 
by working peace, the shalom of God, and the righteousness of God. That's right doing, right relationships with one another, right relationship with God. He wants to work that into the very core of our being. So I would ask again, in which ways might you be compromising, counterfeiting the work of the Spirit, filling and fueling on something else rather than God's Spirit? And lastly, what is driving and inspiring you? What narrative are you allowing to shape your life? Or who or what has the greatest influence in your life? See, when we look more like the culture around us, those that do not know God, pursuing the things of a society that doesn't know God or care about the things of God, when we prize friendship with the world, I'm talking about compromise, not talking about being kind to people that don't know God, but when we prize friendship with the world over friendship with Jesus, it grieves the Spirit of God. Remember in James, he says, specifically in this context, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And then James brings up this wild thing. He says, do you not know that the spirit of God that is in you is jealous for you? You've been blood bought and purchased to be filled and fueled on God's spirit, to be an intimate relationship with a living God. And yet we go after these grand narratives of the world. We settle for the dreams of the world rather than the high call of God in Christ to be formed into the image of Jesus, to one day, to engage in the mission of God and to one day rule and reign over the new creation. And when we do this, his spirit is jealous for us and this grieves the spirit of God. Now, these all quench the spirit. They stop his flow, suppress and silence his voice in our lives. So then the question is, well, what do we do then? What do we do? Well, remember that passage where God says, return to me. And then what does he say? Return to me, Israel. And what will he do? And I will return to you. There's another passage that says, break up the hardened ground. Break up that barrier that is keeping the spirit from flowing. So what is that? That's all intentional work that we must do to return to the Lord, to break up this hardened ground. And so when I think about those, I think about intentionally seeking the Lord not just sitting in my apathy, not just sitting in my complacency. Now, I'll give everybody in this room a pass, myself included, because I think the way that the world is operating right now with the boom in technology over the last 10 years, with the way that now you know our TVs are connected to our computers and the internet and all this, we are living in the age of distraction. What I mean by that is everything is designed to not get you to think of your life at a deep level. And we are people that are to care for our souls, to tend to our souls, to cultivate the life of God in and at work through us. 
That takes intentionality. That takes unplugging, getting away, carving out time to open ourselves up to God and say, like David said, search me, O Lord, and know me. Try me and know my anxieties. Know, Lord, what I am afraid of. Know where I hurt and help me see all the ways that I am going to these broken cisterns that cannot satisfy me, cannot heal my wounds instead of going to you and lead me back to you, Lord. Bring me back. Here I am. I'm returning to you, Lord. Will you return to me? Will you break up the rubble that is prohibiting your spirit from flowing in and through my life that has stopped the power and maybe even awareness of the presence of the spirit in my life? And so, church, I exhort you, I encourage you, this week, even today, if you can, Make time, intentional time, to get alone with the Lord and to open yourself up to God and be real. He knows it all anyway. There's nothing you can hide. Read Psalm 139 as a way to kind of open yourself up to the Lord and allow him to begin to do a deeper work, a work in your soul. Ask him to make the presence and power of his spirit alive and and, and well and, and obvious once again in your life. And I believe that he will do it. Remember Jesus' words to the church in Revelation. Remember where you have fallen. Remember how it was. Remember what we had, Jesus is saying. And turn and do the original works. Get back to intentional spiritual rhythms to reconnect with God and open yourself up to the Lord and see the good ways that he'll lead you into. See and experience the healing power that he wants to work on that thing that you've been nursing. That you would just take even this moment to open yourself up to God to the searching power of the Holy Spirit, to recalibrate your life so that in and through you, you might be an image of Jesus. That people around you would know that when you walk alongside them that Jesus himself has walked alongside them because his power and presence is so potent and at work in your life. Now, let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So, Brian, we're offering a book from our good friend, Charlie Campbell. Yes, Charlie Campbell is the director of Always Be Ready, which is an apologetics ministry. And one we recommend a lot. Yeah, we recommend it a lot. And this is a one-minute answer to skeptics. Now, Charlie has done this book, and this is like a revised version answering 50 of the top objections and questions, kind of current things. You know, things change over time. There are different arguments and things. And what I like about this book is it's, it's an updated current addressing a lot of the things that people are 
kind of throwing out there today as their objections to Christianity. And some of the topics that Charlie covers in this is why doesn't God just appear to us in a public setting and prove he exists? Or the New Testament authors, did they steal details of Jesus' life story from other ancient religions? This is what some skeptics say. Or that the God of the Old Testament commanded the Israelites to commit genocide? Or that the Bible condones slavery? So these are real issues in our society today, and Charlie tells you a biblical answer for these things, and it's great. Yep. So great little one-minute answer to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. That's our offer for this month. Again, this month's resource is a book titled One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. You can order the book One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell to help equip you to defend the faith. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights as Pastor Brian resumes our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.